0: The NBA season is heating up, and Kevin O'Connor and Chris Vernon have got you covered on The Mismatch. They discuss all the news, the trends, and transactions happening around the league. They also offer their on-court analysis and occasionally get into heated debates. Check out The Mismatch on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts.
1: It's New York, New York, presented by Fandle. Take a shot at betting the NBA with Fandle, America's number one sports book. Right now, you can check out the new and improved Parlay Hub, Filter by odds, sport, and bet type to easily find the most popular parlays and same-game parlays all on one page. Plus, start betting on the Explore page and the Pulse and bet live same-game parlays for every NBA game. So download the app today and bet with FanDuel, official partner of the NBA. The ringer is committed to responsible gaming. Please visit rg help. Dot com to learn more about the resources and helplines available and listen to the end of the episode for additional details. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem, call 100 Gambler or visit rg-help.com.
2: This episode is brought to you by Atlassian. Atlassian software like Jira, Confluence, and Trello help power global collaboration for all teams so they can accomplish everything that's impossible alone. Because individually, we're great, but together, we're so much better. Learn how to unleash the potential of your team at Atlassian.com. atlassia Atlassian. Tap the banner or visit this episode's page to learn more.
1: Coming up on New York, New York, how about the two aces we have in New York baseball? Jacob DeGrom, as good as anybody we've seen in a long, long time. And Garrett Cole, he's pretty good, too. We got that. We got the New York basketball teams rolling. We got draft props with Arthur Caesar, but we have the great Mike Francesa checking in for the first time on New York, New York. All sorts of listener voicemails. A lot more to do. It is New York, New York, presented by FanDuel Sportsbook. It's coming up next. Alrighty, let's roll baby. Welcome in. It's episode 10 of New York, New York with yours truly J.J. John Stremsky. We're right here on the Ringer Podcast Network and first of all, it's hard to believe that we're 10 episodes into this bad boy. Number two, it's also very hard to believe we're closing in on the end of April. The NFL draft is on the horizon. Big things await, but I know this first month of the podcast has in many ways turned into a bitch session. It really has, where you have gotten on the line, where you have expressed your concerns and your frustrations. And, you know, in many ways, I've been trying to be Dr. Melfi. In some ways, I'm walking towards the edge of the ledge. But I was thinking about this over the weekend because with all of the complaining that we've been doing, and most of it, Rightfully so, with the exception of the Knicks, who we'll get to later, and they continue to be this just feel-good, incredible team to watch. From a baseball standpoint, how nice is it as New Yorkers, whether you're a Yankee fan, whether you're a Mets fan, besides the point, in this city, we have the two best pitchers in the sport wearing orange and blue and wearing Yankee pinstripes. It is pretty damn cool to have Jacob deGrom and Garrett Cole doing their thing every fifth day. And look, Jacob deGrom, what he has done since he's put him at uniform on in 2014, what he has done over the last three years, think about individual dominance here in New York. Individual dominance. I'm not talking team dominance. Yankees winning four out of five championships You know, the Giants going on their great, incredible January Super Bowl runs in 07 and 2011. From an individual standpoint, DeGrom is doing something, folks, that we have not seen around here in a long, long, long time. Because he's unquestioned. He is the best pitcher in the sport. And he's getting better. That's the insane thing. Watching DeGrom throw that gem Friday night against the Washington Nationals. His velocity, 100, 101. The nastiness of the off-speed pitches is better than ever. He's got a career high in 15 strikeouts. He's retiring, what, 19 in a row? It's effortless. DeGrom from the 2018 season on put it up there with Dwight Gooden in the mid-1980s. Put it up there with Donnie Baseball and the run that he went on. You know, it's weird with Jeter, as great a player as he was, he's never going to be a guy that wows you as far as, like, individual dominance. DeGrom has that going. And Mariano did it for forever. It's different, though, when you're closing compared to when you're starting games every fifth day. And in many ways, thinking about Matt Harvey, who's pitching in the big leagues for the Baltimore Orioles, this folks, is what we envisioned way back in 2012 and way back in 2013 when Matt Harvey kind of came on the scene with the Mets. Little did you know that in 2014, a guy who wasn't getting the same amount of hype as Harvey and Wheeler and Syndergaard would end up being by far and away the best of that group Becoming the unquestioned ace of this team. And now is and has been for a while. This is not news. The last three or four years, it's been obvious. Jacob deGrom is the best pitcher in baseball. He's that special. He's an all-time met. Tom Seaver's the best to ever do it. DeGrom continuing to ascend, he's passing Dwight Gooden as far as I'm concerned. It's unfortunate what happened to Dwight, of course. The Demons got the very best of them. DeGrom now from 2014 has been great. The last three years, four years, he's been off the charts. You watched that game Friday night, you were oohing and on. So I was trying to think about individual New York athletes that have been on this sort of run of dominance. can mention A-Rod, even though, listen, A-Rod had his postseason futility. A-Rod obviously was using performance-enhancing drugs. He had two MVPs in three years. It's weird, though. He didn't feel a love the way DeGrom is feeling the love. And I think it's because it was Jeter's team, number one. Number two, the Yankees weren't winning championships like they did in the late 90s. Big difference. a came to mind. I know some people statistically are going to want to put Beckham there. Please, please, please. (laughs) No, 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 no. Putting Jacob DeGrom and Odell Beckham Jr. in the same sentence is insulting to Jacob DeGrom. Insulting. No other way around it. Because DeGrom, even when his team spitting in his face, even when his team not scoring runs, guy is a dominant stud and is a joy to watch. And if he keeps pitching like this, listen to these numbers basically a month into the year. Listen to these numbers for a second. 0.33 ERA, 0.55 whip, 50 strikeouts in 27 innings. I mean, holy moly, that is absurd. This continues. Give him the Cy Young now and then put him in a spot where he might be an MVP candidate if the Mets keep, you know, winning and he's by far and away the best player on the team. Good weekend for the Mets, though. Not a good Saturday game. Stroman wasn't good. Defense wasn't good. Friday, do enough with the bats. It's good to see Conforto coming to life. Davis, big home run in the first inning against Patrick Corbin. And J.D. Davis is going to play because the Mets are looking for offense J.D. Davis provides offense. He's going to play despite his limitations at third base. Take two out of three. But the story of the weekend, as far as the Mets go, the dominance of the Grom continues to amaze. Voicemail right out of the gate before we get to the other dominant pitcher in town. Who do we got?
3: Hey, J.J., how's it going? It's Matt from Manhattan. I got to ask you, man. I mean, I'm a Yankees fan here, and I just love watching the cross team With Jacob DeGrom on the Mets being absolutely, positively
0: dominating
3: every hitter. I mean, 15 strikeouts. That's just unbelievable. But let me just ask you this, JJ. Is he the best pitcher in the last 20 years? And what I mean by that is, is he Pedro Martinez dominant when he was with Boston in the late 90s, early 2000s? Thanks, JJ.
1: Love the show. Take care. That's an excellent question. He's on that level. Yes. I have always said Pedro is the most dominant starter I've ever seen in my life. Mariano Rivera obviously is the most dominant reliever I've ever seen in my life. And I was thinking about this over the weekend with the great Tim and Massapequa, a couple of late night texts over a couple of Sam 76s, uh, going through basically the top five pitchers of our lifetime. Pedro, Randy Johnson, Greg Maddox, those are my top three. Roger Clemens is there, but obviously the steroid stuff comes into play. I got DeGrom on that list. Don't at me. Quentin Kershaw's got to be there too, but Kershaw's inability to get it done in postseason spots annoys me. It annoys me. So yeah, DeGrom is going to be a Hall of Famer. And I want to hear about the wins argument. You could take that and stick it and shove it somewhere. Please. You're going to penalize the guy because he's not winning games like it's his fault? That argument just blows my mind. Now, you have that going on with the Mets, and it's nice to actually come on the air and have some positivity coming the way of the New York Yankees despite a Sunday loss. And I don't love the way the manager handled the bullpen at the end of this game. Tough to kill the Yankees over the weekend because they did exactly what they needed to do. They gave you a feel-good series. They won three out of four games. That's encouraging. I don't like the idea of 3 nothing lead Tyon gives up four runs, and then you basically say, well, screw it, we're pumped in the game, we're going to Nick Nelson. He gives up a run in the fifth. How in God's name is he back out there for the sixth inning? Like, how how is that possible? That's basically saying, you know what, we're cool, we won three out of four, we really don't give a shit about the fourth game. That's unacceptable to me. Not with the way the Yankees have played. But I don't want to harp on the negative stuff, because if you would have told me Thursday night, JJ, the Yankees will win three out of four in Cleveland. I would have taken it. I would have signed for it. And it's a good step in the right direction. We're marveling at DeGrom, who's the best in the sport. The second best pitcher in the sport is the guy wearing Yankee pinstripes in Garrett Cole. And I heard my buddy Sweeney Murdy mention this. And I heard Michael Kay mention it in the Yankee broadcast. I totally agree. Garrett Cole, in many ways, has become the Paul O'Neill of pitchers. Every pitch. You can tell when he doesn't execute properly. He's cursing. He's he's kicking some dirt. I love that. I love that. I love that sort of intensity. I love that sort of fire. That's exactly what I'm looking for out of my ace. And you know what I love too? Outdoing Shane Bieber for the second time in a calendar year. Seven innings, one run baseball, double-digit strikeouts, not walking anybody, getting better as the game goes along. Cole is worth. Every penny for the Yankees. Every penny. And I expect him to do this now for a long period of time. I know the Yankees are banking on that. I know the Yankees made that investment hoping this is what you were going to see. He is a true ace in every sense of the word. And he's a pleasure to watch. Because he's a bulldog. And guys who give a rat's ass, it means a lot to me. You would think, oh, it's simplistic. They should. Some don't give off that body language, though. Cole does. And I love his intensity. When he is on the mound every fifth day, it is appointment viewing television. And for the Yankee bats, listen, not a great weekend in Cleveland. They face some quality pitching. Rugnet Odor, though, looks to be a spark plug. It's amazing. He's come in. He's got a little flair to him. He's given the team a little bit of energy. He's hit. Booney moved him up into the cleanup spot today, and you can't fault him on that. He's swinging a bat really well. Lefty bat, he's going to play. He's going to have an impact on this team, even if it's coming off the bench. Stanton coming alive on Friday is great to see. You want to get LeMayu going. You want to get Judge going. Good signs from Urshela. Good signs from Gleyber Torres. And all in all, good weekend for the Yankees, taking three out of four. Bullpen looks great. Cole looks great. You hope the Yankee Bats can come alive in a place they love to hit over the next four days. The Yankees got four with the Orioles and then they got three with the Tigers. They should get fat on those two teams. They got, what, seven games between the two? Go minimum five and two as far as I'm concerned. But a whole lot of complaining when it comes to New York baseball. I get it. There better not be any complaining when it comes to Jacob DeGrom and Garrett Cole. Because again, you're looking for great players to watch here in town. You got the best pitcher and the second best pitcher in the entire sport doing their thing every fifth day. To me, that's kind of cool. We got a whole lot more to do. The great Mike Francesa, my old pal, is going to check in. Tons of listener voicemails. Art the Caesar with all this stuff as far as the NFL draft props. And the return of Kevin Durant. What a concept. Kevin Durant's actually playing some basketball. All that more. New York, New York. Right here on The Ringer Podcast Network. Let's welcome in a guy who needs no introduction. He's had a tremendous impact on my career and he's going to give us a couple of minutes. The great Mike Francesa. What's up, Mike? JJ, how are you?
4: How's life in your new gig? What's going on?
1: Mike, the new gig is terrific. It's a lot of the same stuff I've done for the last nine years. We're just doing it now with Bill's backing, which we're all fired up about. And I think a lot of the audience is wondering for you, how is life treating you post WFAN?
4: You know, it's been it's been interesting, Um, you know, uh, I didn't know exactly how things were going to go. And, you know, life is so upside down right now with the pandemic and everything else and things so slow to get back to normal. So it's really I haven't been able to do some of the things that we had planned to do when I finally stepped away. Like, you know, my wife and I had a couple of uh, major trips That we had to cancel one to france another one to uh, a couple other resort areas uh you know and and, and some different things Uh, and as a matter of fact i didn't even get to saratoga last year for the first time in 38 years so i mean uh that's how crazy things are and it's been so slow to come back it's it's made things very unusual i i have said that i will not and i watch everything but I have said that I will not go back to a sporting event. And listen, I'm a guy who went to. I oh, mean, you always did, like You've seen thousands, the legends. Yeah, you're always in a mix, of listen, course. Thousands of games. I mean, I had med season tickets. I had Yankee season tickets. I went to every playoff game in this town. I went to every uh, Super Bowl, Final Four, you name it. Uh, I've been to every one of these events a million times. I am not going to a live sporting event until I can go there as a regular fan in a full house, no, no mass, no nothing. I'm not into this. I mean, Yankee studying to me when I watch it on TV looks like a morgue. I mean, it's it, tough. Look, but, it, look, but listen, Mike, it's, it's better uh, at it's, it's, than it's nobody awful. though,
1: right? We don't want any, we don't want buildings, but there's nobody there. Last
4: year listen, was a rent. It's awful. I mean, listen, I understand what they're doing. I understand they're trying to squeeze every dollar they can squeeze, but their product looks so bad. Teams playing bad. It's cold out and it looks like you have five people in the ballpark. I mean, it's just, it's hideous and they're all bundled up. They got masks on. I mean, this isn't sports as we know it. I mean, you know, this isn't what we grew up with. So, uh, hopefully, and you know, New York's gone through such a bad run of sports for so long and it looks to be coming out of it a little bit led by, believe it or not, the Knicks who are obviously doing some good things, you know, um, The coach has done a great job. He really has. Uh, He reminds me a lot of being a later-day UB Brown in that he gets a lot out of his players and he gets a lot out of guys who aren't great players. Uh, That's something UB Brown always did. Uh, I don't know if he can take a team all the way to the top. We'll have to wait and see. That'll be what we'll see in the next couple of years. But he really has done a wonderful job with the team this year.
1: Okay, so to take the Knicks to the next level, they've been a ton of fun to watch, Mike. It's weird. Yeah. I'm used to talking about the Knicks being this total dumpster fire. What is the move that Mike Francesa would make
4: they that need would take them really, from being a point guard? They need Lonzo they Ball. Need in my a really That's a guy good. I get. they needed an elite guard, let's be honest. Okay. The game is a game now played in the backcourt. You don't need a big man to win. It's a proven fact. All right. It it doesn't mean a big man can't have a role, but the big man, if he's gonna have a role, uh, unless he's just a rim protector, if he's gonna have a role, he's gotta play in a pick and pop game. Otherwise, he's not gonna be the player you want him to be. So it's gotta be an elite guard getting your hands on one of those. It doesn't have to be a point guard. It could be a guard. It doesn't have to be a point guard. It can be a guard who can handle the ball and be the guy who can get the big shot play a little defense because in their system you're gonna have to play a little defense the bottom line is though that's what they need uh i've always been a randall fan i mean you could go back if you had asked john calipari he'd tell you that i've always liked randall going back a long time uh i'm surprised how good he's become i always liked him as a player uh i always thought he was going to be a good player coming out of college um he's been even better than I thought he's played on an incredible level this year. I think they've taken a lot. I think two things. I think they've taken a lot of people by surprise and in a league that in the regular season plays little defense, he he's made his team play hard every night and play defense every night. And they've won a lot of games, especially in the fourth quarter because of that.
1: Well, let's be honest. They've had a team for 20 years that played absolutely no defense and you were in the building for years with Jeff, and when those teams were playing big games in the late 90s, did you have any interaction with Tibbs? Did you see this coming with him? I know I had Van Gundy on last week, and Mike, he told me he saw this coming, he's a lifer, he's all in, this is the job he's wanted for 30 or 40 years, but did you have any, like, one-on-one interactions with Tom during no. those times? No,
4: yeah, I, I tell you, but I can tell you this, that Jeff's telling the truth, because Jeff and I are very close, uh, and I can tell you that they are always raved about how great a coach Tibbs was as an assistant and how great a coach he was going to be in the years to come. So that's not a secret. Now he was in a position where he didn't do anything with us. I mean, I went from having all the interviews with Riley to having all the interviews with Van Gundy. Okay. After he took over. Uh, So we dealt mostly with the head coach. I mean, dog and I, I mean, There was no guy in the history of our station or the history of the Mike and Amir Meredith Show who was more accommodating to the station or to us than Pat Riley. Pat Riley would give us, think about this, and some of this might be even before your time, Pat Riley would play game seven on a Friday night, home, in Indiana, wherever. He would give us... 45 minutes live wow. that at five or six o'clock he at game seven live 45 minutes breaking down the game what he thought whether he would be on foot before every big game didn't matter if it was game seven that's why when pat left and he faxed in his resignation dog and i got the resignation that day and he left for greece in the big dispute and they listen i said this many times the biggest loss that our city ever had from a team standpoint in all my years on FAN was Pat Riley leaving the Knicks. Nobody knew at the time. Pat's demands were outrageous, I admit that. We killed Pat Riley. Pat, who had been so good to us, never forgave and myself. I even sat at the pool out in California at the Lowe's Summit for three hours, one day, trying to make peace with Patty after he went to Miami, I was traveling with my wife, and she said to me, "Pat Riley's at the pool." And I said, "You got to be kidding me!" And she said, "Do you think I don't know it's Pat Riley?" I said, "All right." I walked down to the pool. I said, "Pat, can we talk?" he's we sat down, we talked for three hours, and he still said, "I don't forgive you." He's never done an interview with us ever again. He did one. He did one when you retired. That's the only one, and he was hurt and felt he had been so good to us, which he was. And in retrospect, I don't know if we could have handled it a different way, but we probably personally owed him better because he was actually that good to us through those years. And he was very hurt by it. He thought we had a relationship and he felt we didn't keep up our end of the bargain. Never forgave us. I, I Personally, never forgave us. And probably in retrospect was right, except it was just a dispute where he seemed to be on the wrong end of the dispute at the time. We came down hard on him. Uh, it was an ugly dispute, but really his him leaving the town left a gaping hole. I thought the biggest in all the years I was on, uh, I don't think anybody realizes now as the Knicks get better, how big the Knicks were in New York. Well, Mike, that's I what I was going to say. They were the number one. They're the number one team. If they're cooking, they're humming, right? Baseball don't start until they they end up. We would go months where we were talking 90% Knicks. We would go months where we were talking 90% Knicks. And then I went to points where I didn't mention that team on my program, maybe for more than 1% of the airtime in a given year. And there were times where they were number one by a wide margin. It's
1: crazy to think about now. You were in town when DeGrom was doing his thing, and it's amazing. You think about all those pitchers, Mike. Harvey got all the love when he came up. Wheeler was the guy you brought in in the Beltran trade. Syndergaard comes from Toronto. But yet seven, eight years later, DeGrom is undisputed, hands down the best of the bunch. He's the best pitcher in baseball. And you think about the last three years from a dominant standpoint. I was trying to think about it, Mike. Individual athletes in this town who have dominated at their craft the way DeGrom has. Obviously, Mariano, A-Rod for a couple of years. Uh, I mean, Gooden, you go back to Mattingly, you go back to. I mean, Mike, this is unbelievable stuff with DeGrom.
4: Well, you start with, I don't know what year you, I mean, I don't know, if, I, don't, I don't think you're trying to go back to Mickey Mantle. No, but before my time, Mike, just come on now. If, just you a little. Just go, if, if you just go to the days of FAN, you start, of course, with Lawrence Taylor. Remember, If I'm making a list, and I've said this many times, I've done this list for the NFL. I've done this list for the Hall of Fame. And they ask you to list the top 40 players of all time. I put Lawrence Taylor, too, on the list. Because he, to me, is the number one defensive player of all time. So we had a player in this town that we had a chance to watch win championships and be the greatest player or the second greatest or third greatest player in the history of his sport. In our town, it, during these days, so think about that. You're not talking about a guy who was in the top thirty, top twenty, which would be amazing. You're talking about one of, one of the top couple of players of all time. So that's how you start with him. But really, what you've seen now from Degrom, especially last year and this year, the Degrom I've seen this year is the most dominant pitcher that I have seen. Since Sandy Koufax pitched, wow! Now, Ahead I of Pedro Martinez, Mike. Ahead of Ahead Pedro. Pedro. Hey, this guy's throwing a hundred in the eighth inning. This guy is unhittable. The other night, he really threw a one-hitter. They didn't hit a hard ball after after the third inning. He really threw a one-hitter because I thought the ball, the center fielder should have caught it. Okay, I thought he, I thought he absolutely should have caught it. They they gave him a base hit on it. I thought they easily could have given him an error. They didn't, so it was a two-hitter instead of a one-hitter. That was as dominant a performance as I have seen in years. Listen, Tom Seaver was the most consistent pitcher year in and year out that I've ever seen in my lifetime. Sandy was great for five years. No one's ever reached that level. No one I've ever seen has ever reached that level. Not Gibson, not Seaver, not uh, Randy Johnson, not Pedro. And Pedro was brilliant. I saw Pedro throw games that were where he was unhittable. I saw Greg Maddux throw games where he was unhittable, untouchable. This guy, though, right now has reached a level that I have never seen except for Kovacs. Now, I don't know if we can continue it, but right now with him carrying his speed and not and his control, he doesn't walk anybody, he doesn't get hit hard, and he is striking out everybody, and he's carrying his speed into the eighth and ninth inning at ninety miles at ninety-nine miles an hour or hundred miles an hour. It's insane what he's doing right now. That's how good he is. And he's a great he feels his position. He hits. I mean, he is a remarkable performer right now. Let's just see if he can continue it, because I don't even know if anybody could continue what he's doing right now. That's how good he is.
1: Crazy to think about. Now, Mets, I don't know where you had them before the year, Mike. I had them in the high 80s, low 90s. Thought they'd be a playoff team. Didn't have them ahead of the Atlanta Braves. Uh, you've watched them now for, what, three weeks. Where do you stand on the Mets this year?
4: Same way at what is the start of the year. I think a lot of it depends on what they can get out of Syndergaard and Carrasco. Can they get anything out of these guys? I don't trust the pitching. Strowman's gotten off well. I don't trust the starting pitching behind the Grom. I don't love the bullpen. So, uh, they, they are a weak defensive team because the Mets continue to sacrifice at a lot of positions. They continue to sacrifice defense. Now they went out and got a real shortstop. He hasn't hit a lick. And I thought the contract they gave him was ridiculous, but, uh, he is a wonderful fielder and he will hit, but I thought the contract, the contract made him one of the top five players in baseball. I don't think he's one of the top five players in baseball. So I thought the contract was overdone, but they continue to sacrifice defense at a lot of positions. And you're talking about really sacrificing it at third base, really sacrificing it at left field, sacrificing it a little bit in center field, sacrificing it still somewhat at first base. They sacrifice defense at a lot of positions. And with that and the pitching, which would be shaky behind the Grom, I worry about them. I think if everything is great and they get something out of Carrasco, starting in June, something out of, cinder second half of the year i think they can win low 90s but i think that'll probably be enough to get them into the playoffs
1: yankees on the other hand mike they went three out of four this weekend great i think about that core when they started in 2017 i didn't get to the extreme of thinking it was going to be the late 90s all over again but i think the yankees in many ways thought they had that going with judge with sanchez torres and his emergence burden what he gave the team in 2017 and listen this team has fallen short in the playoffs year after year after year and Mike they're gonna win 90 plus games I think when it's all said and done even though I respect Tampa they're gonna win the division but there is nothing I've seen from the Yankees from the start of this year to now and to what they've done in the offseason that leads me to believe come playoff time they need a big hit they need somebody other than Cole to step up Mike, they're a flawed team as far as trying to win in a postseason. I don't think there's any question.
4: They have a huge advantage this year. First of all, they're not a great team. Secondly, they're probably not as good a team as they were two years ago. Listen, I hated the Stanton move. And listen, fans can tell you now they didn't want Stanton. It's nonsense. They fought with me tooth and nail when I didn't want Stanton. That contract's a
1: disaster, Mike, and it's untradeable. They were getting him for
4: nothing. I didn't want him for nothing. I didn't, they didn't need another right-handed bat. I've been begging the Yankees to balance their lineup. If the Yankees balanced their lineup, they wouldn't have to bat a guy like Hicks third, who has no right batting third because they have no left-handers. They wouldn't have to force feed Gardner and guys like that. Now, Adoro's come in and actually got some big hits in Cleveland. I don't know if that's going to continue or not. Uh, I, I don't know. He's got a lot of holes in his game. He did have some big hits this week. So who knows? The bottom line is though, I don't trust Chapman in the big game when it comes to the playoffs. I don't like this team defensively. I don't like this team. I think Sanchez has got holes. I think, obviously, we know the kid's not a shortstop, uh, Torres. We know that he ha- he's, his future's not there. The Yankees are way too right-handed, which always bothered me. The Yankees should always have balance and really should always be, I think, lean lefty rather than righty. It makes no sense for them not to do that. I'll take balance, but they've been so heavily right-handed. And to hear that, oh, everything will be great when Voigt comes back. Give me a break. Huh? The bottom line is this, though. With all that said, this should be an easier trip to the World Series than it's been in years. Mike, let's it's be honest. The AL stinks. In- if they don't go to the World Series this year, they've got to make change. J.J., the AL is down dramatically. Dramatically. Tampa's down. Houston's down a mile. They're down. They, there's not a team there that is going to keep them. I think Cleveland's way down. I mean, these teams are down a mile. The Red Sox are better than people thought, but they're not ready to be a top team. The Yankees are the only team that has a chance to be a top team in the American League this year. They can get to the World Series without being a top team, but the difference between the Yankees and the Dodgers is night and day. It's night and day, and that would be a bad matchup in the postseason.
1: Okay, Mike, they don't get to the World Series. They lose to Tampa. They lose to Oakland. Whoever, give me the team in the American League. Are you making wholesale change with the
4: GM and the manager? I admit, listen, I'm not looking to make – I'm not asking Cashman to leave, and I'm not asking Boone to leave because I think that's overrated anyway. I want them to make changes on the team, though. I want them to put the team in the right spot. I don't think they have. I really don't ha- think they have. Now, they went and got some guys this year. They're going to hope turn out to be good pitchers or not. Cole's really good. Hey, Cole better be good. You paid him an arm and a leg. He better be good, and he's been good and he'll be good, but their bullpen is not dominant anymore. They don't have anything Batances anymore, and Batances is shot anyway. And Chapman, if you look, he hasn't gotten it done in big spots in years. He's not going to do it now, and every year, oh, Chapman's got another pitch. Every time they tell me he's got another pitch, I know he's down another peg. Okay? The bottom line is the Yankees, though, this year should have an easy – I'd be shocked. I think they can win the division. Low 90s this year. And I don't think anybody in the American League is going to come near 100 wins this year. And I think the American League is way down. So I think it should be a real easy run for the Yankees this year. But I don't think if the Dodgers are there, they better hope somebody beats the Dodgers before the playoffs. That's before the World Series, because they wouldn't beat the playoffs. But people would be happy if the Yankees got to the World Series. But let's be honest. The Yankees have won one World Series 20 in years?
0: 20
4: years. Mike, if they didn't have 2009, years. forget about it. What would the fans in town be saying if they didn't have 2009? Well, if they hadn't been 2009, there would have been such a different team so long ago. Cash would have been long gone. So many people would have been long gone. That team would have had a completely different look. You wouldn't even resent, you wouldn't even recognize the team now if they hadn't won in 2009.
1: I think about guys you loved throughout your career over at Fan Andrew Luck. You and I had that in common. Loved them, absolutely loved them, and we saw what happened with his career. Uh, health got the best very of him. Sad. Very he sad. He would have been an
4: all-time. He would have been an all-time great. Hall That's of famer. Very sad what happened. Totally yeah. agree. Do oh, you? Uh, s- yeah. Uh, I even think you know, high hall of famer. I think he was on his way to true greatness. Yes.
1: Um. Do you see Trevor Lawrence in that same sort of category?
4: <sighs> I don't like him as much. I I don't. I haven't seen from Lawrence the the little. Extra things that Luck brought to the position when I watched Luck in college, uh, L- but Lawrence has as much physical talent as anybody I've seen in a long time. Look, I, I, there's no reason that Luck can't be a. I mean, there's no reason that Lawrence can't be a. a you know, a standout, standout uh, quarterback. I, 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 I think when you think about him, put him in the same class coming out. As Manning, Aikman, Luck, Marino, he should be that kind of quarterback.
1: Do you finally feel like the Jets are moving in the right direction? Yes or no?
4: Not sure. This week, this next couple of weeks will tell a lot. Not sure. They have to hit on draft I mean, not, picks, not, Mike. They have to hit well, on the you know, Listen, you, and they have to hit on the quarterback. Uh, they've made their commitment to this quarterback. Now, let's be honest. Okay. I noticed last year that BYU week one and two was killing people. So I was paying attention to BYU just like anybody who pays attention to college football. And I've always paid attention to college football. So the kid had a super year last year, and BYU had a super year last year. We know that. But let's be honest. We haven't, none of us have seen enough of this kid to know for sure how good he is. You know, we didn't see him as much as we we saw any of those other guys. I saw the other guys I mentioned, including Aikman. I saw all those guys much more than I've seen from this guy. So I I don't have as much of feel. Lawrence is a can't miss unless he gets hurt. He's a can't miss quarterback. I don't think there's any question. I, like I said, I put him in the group with the guys I gave you, and they all turned out to be Super quarterbacks, and I think this kid will be the same thing.
1: You were a big tour guy. I'm still a big tour guy. I think he's going to be fine. If there's a weapon you'd put alongside of him, and the Dolphins have a top pick, is it the tight end from Florida? Is it Chase, who was better than Jefferson with Burrow at LSU? Or is it one of his Bama guys, Mike, either Smith or Waddle, that he knows well? If you're the Dolphins, this is a big pick. Tua's got to make a big leap here now in his second year. Who is the weapon you're going and getting for him at six?
4: Dolphins did a real disservice last year. They knew he wasn't healthy. I don't know why they force fed him. I think they felt he wasn't going to get hurt. But remember, I watched him play in college. I've seen him throw the ball. He can throw the deep ball. They played him last year like he wasn't able to throw the ball more than 10 yards, 15 yards down the field. I mean, that's how they ran the offense for him. You can't run an offense like that in the league. What they did in the Raider game was embarrassing. Here's a Raider team that should have been cut apart, and they had to wait till they put Fitz in the game to throw the ball down the field. They, they can't treat the kid like that. If the kid's not healthy enough to throw the ball with abandon, he shouldn't be playing. This kid's had a lot of serious injuries. If the injuries don't hold him back, I think he's got all the talent in the world. But I think he's, he's got to be healthy. And I don't know that he's healthy. I just don't know. He's had so many major injuries, hip, shoulder, ankle. I just, I, I hope he's healthy. I just don't know if he is.
1: Are you concerned about Devontae Smith being 160 pounds or you think he's a stud in the NFL? Stud. So you're all in. You like Smith more than Chase or Waddle.
4: Smith will be, he will be unstoppable in the the NFL.
1: So what you tell me then, Mike, if the Giants have an opportunity to get Devontae Smith and he's there, to me, they got to take him. That's the way I feel. If he's on the board for them, he's a stud. I'm with you on that.
4: He's on, you're not going to, he's going to put it. The way the league is constructed right now, guys like that are lethal. And if you can get your hands on one, you're out of your mind. How important is it what, what? how important is the little guy to Kansas City he changes the face of how teams play against them and I can tell you right now Kansas City which had its Andy Reid who I love and I, has been a friend for a million years Okay. Had a terrible super Sunday. There were a lot going on in his life. Obviously he had a terrible super Sunday. He, uh, he didn't make any adjustments in that game. Obviously he went in the game with no offensive line uh, and he thought he could still get things done. He put his quarterback in a very tough spot, but if you notice very well, not so quietly, but uh, if unless people have been paying attention, he has rebuilt that offensive line and he is one step from being complete on doing that. And with an offensive line, they're going to be right back in the Super Bowl again. How surprised and, are you? And, and all they need, all they needed was to go out and make the changes they made. And if you look, they have done that on the offensive line.
1: If I would have told you 10 years ago that Tom Brady is still doing this, what would your answer have been?
4: Listen, I'm surprised anybody can play football that long. Tom keeps himself in an incredible shape. He does a remarkable job. But I, I, I think, to be fair, if you're looking at it, and listen, when Tom was given the moment in the game, he never missed on the moment. But I go back and say this about the playoffs last year, and I've said it 100 times. If Tampa doesn't force the fumble on the tight end down seven points when he's running free in the secondary, that game's over. That game is over. Over. Uh, New Orleans is about to dominate that game. You remember the tight ends wide open. He's running down the field and he gets hit and he fumbles the ball and it turned the entire game around with New Orleans up seven in the third quarter. New Orleans goes in for a touchdown there. That game's over. Now they tried to play obviously with a hurt quarterback last year, but this Brady got a ride on the defense for a lot of the playoffs last year. Who goes to the Super Bowl throwing three picks in the second half of an NFC championship game? Who goes to the Super Bowl with a quarterback? What quarterback in history is ever going to go to the Super Bowl having thrown three INTs in the second half of a a, a championship game? I mean, but when the moment was there and it was presented where he had to make a play before the half, when teams got stupid, he made the plays and give him credit for that. And you know what? He can't take the championships away from him. He keeps winning them. So him getting there, that was a a remarkable cap on his career. One that I wonder if he even thought that he'd really get. And if you go back and you analyze those games in the playoffs, especially in the New Orleans game, you know what? That could have been a very different outcome.
1: In your year hiatus since FAN, if there's one big event, Mike, and it's been a weird year, it's been a strange year, but... Has there been one particular day where you maybe have woken up saying, man, I wish I was on the air to talk about such and such? Yes.
4: Yeah, and it was a day, quite interestingly, it was a day with someone that I had a terrible relationship with. It was a day Tom Seaver died. I remember that, yeah. Because I felt that I could do a better job explaining Seaver to of the people who do what I do. Now, I'm not saying there aren't other guys who uh, who understand that History or other people who understand and got to see Tom as much as I did. I saw Tom break in. I saw Tom as whole career. Now, Tom hated me. Okay. He hated Dog and I because of the fact that he thought we ran Buddy Harrelson out of town. And Buddy Harrelson was like his roommate and his best friend. So he hated us. I mean, Dog and I had confrontations with We 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 didn't get along. That's not a secret. Okay. He really detested us and he felt that we were rough on, and we were rough on Buddy, but he was a terrible manager. Okay. That's all it was told. Buddy was a good player. He was a terrible manager. And, you know, and, but they held a grudge. And that's, that's okay. I mean, we understand that. But I put that aside and I think could have explained to people just how. I, I think you had to be there to understand because the Mets didn't win enough for people to understand just how good Siva was. Siva was as consistently brilliant day in, day out as any player I have ever seen in my lifetime. I didn't say he's the greatest player I've ever seen in any sport. What I said was he is was as consistently brilliant, consistently good when he went to the mound, day in, day out, as any player, and he was as professional as any athlete I ever watched in my life, day in and day out.
1: I grew up listening to you. Many in this audience grew up listening to you. Bill Simmons, for that matter, grew up listening to you. Yes, the biz- Yeah, which is crazy to think about, Mike. A whole lot of generations. The business has changed quite a bit, you know, I think about listening to you guys, you and Chris, and then you for all those years. Hardcore sports was the center of a lot of these sports radio shows. And don't get me wrong. You guys would do movies if there was a tragic event like September the 11th or the O.J. Simpson trial. You guys covered it. But do you feel in looking at the business, Mike, this shift away from talking about the games is troubling in your eyes or you don't see it
4: that way? It, 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 listen, it started about, I'd say about eight years, 10 years. For about eight or 10 years, Dog and I had the terrain pretty much to ourselves. Um, FAN was really alone. Most people didn't think it was going to be successful. And then they had the runaway success of, of FAN became his, the biggest station in the country. Uh, obviously, a very good part of that, Don Imus. Uh, we needed him to build on. He was the foundation, and then Dog and I took it from there, and took the ball, and now they, then we had both ends going like that, and uh, and many other people at the station doing a great job also. Um, Dog and I believed in doing sports talk. We didn't do uh, scatological humor. We didn't do guy talk, and then guy talk became very prevalent in a lot of markets. And it became the rage and guy talk, you know, talk about which girls got the best this and the best that, and who's the hottest this and the hottest that. and I never did that. Never did that. We would do some wacky stuff. We would do movies. We would do different things, but we didn't do that stuff. We didn't do guy talk. We didn't do any stuff like that ever. It has changed. And I think it has changed more now, but here's why. When we started, it was a very different world, a very different world. The internet hadn't taken off yet. There was no such thing as a podcast. You did not have the information at your fingertips that you have now. Now everybody has everything at their fingertips. They can watch every game. They can get any bit of information about any team, any player, any from everywhere with what's going on now, especially with what Twitter has brought to the world. That has even changed it again. And there'll be other things that change it more. And now what you have is the buffer between the athlete and the game and the fan has been eroded. The game is brought straight to the fan now. The athlete brings himself straight to the fan now and argues with the fan or has reaction with the fan. So that's been wiped away in a lot of areas. So what it has done is it has made the people who do what Dog and I started and what we do and what we did very different. So it used to be, you had to always entertain, but inform too. You could, you had, there was a lot of information you had that other people didn't have OK, now everybody has every bit of information. Now stories are broken in a moment's time. So now that you people think the game isn't enough and even talking about sports isn't enough. Now I have to do a million different things to compete. And I think there's pressure on these people now, especially in the podcast world, because what's happened now is radio has changed so dramatically because that it's actually done some things that have been a negative for the business because you can now hear interviews earlier in the show that I did that are now up in case people didn't get them. Well, I don't want them to be up when I'm still on the air, put them up when I'm off, when I'm off the air. Now they put them up when I'm still on the air. They bring back stuff two hours later, they bring it back 10 minutes later. So now everything is available when the, when the listener wants it, the listener can get anything at, at, a, at the touch of a finger at a moment's notice. So it has made it a very different business. And it's easier now to get a job than it was when I broke in. When I broke in, there weren't a lot of places to work. Now there's a million ways to break in. You can get your own. You can start your own stuff. You can start your own stuff on TikTok. You can start your own stuff on your own podcast. You can start your own stuff in a million different ways now. And if you cut through, great. That's the key. How do you cut through? How do you make a name for yourself if you're not a brand, when you get into trying to have the listener and the audience, which has so much stuff available to them now, what are they going to select? What are they going to listen to? And that is the thing that has, I think, put pressure on the performer to think, oh, I have to be so clever. And frankly, I think a lot of them fail at being clever At some of the stuff they try to be clever at instead of just doing the best job they can do in the area they're there for, which is sports and having, you know, if you go in there and do your job well and are entertaining and are colorful and have a good take on what's going on in the world and a opinion that is valid, but is also unique then I think you'll be fine, no matter where you are or what you're doing. I don't disagree but with that. But, Mike, harder, I think there's a void. I think it's different.
1: I think there's a void because with you even, and, you know, I think about the way you did a show and the way Chris did a show, and obviously I'm doing it my own way and I'm doing it very different, but with that old-school tribute in many ways, Mike, I think the audience misses that, my friend. I really do. Well,
4: listen, things are always going to change. Uh, nothing stands still, you know that. You know, I started 35 years ago. That's a long time ago. Uh, I was there and was in a dominant position for over 30 years. That's a long time. It really is a long time. And I understand things are going to change. But here's what will never change. If you're good at what you do, if you're entertaining and opinionated and you give them something that's unique. they'll come find it. that That's what I believe. And that's what you strive to do as a performer. Do you pay any attention
1: to the ratings battles now that you're no longer in the uh, trenches, Mike?
4: No, I, I haven't I haven't at all. I listen. Um, you know I, I I paid attention to it for a long. Time. I just say a long time. <laughs> I'd be sick of it too, to be honest with you, Mike following the i paid I paid attention to it for a long time. You know, it wasn't a battle for many, many years. It was a battle a little bit at the end. But, you know, I, I got beat once in, in, in 30 years uh, by a sports station. One book in 30 years. So I'll take that. I'm happy with that performance. So that's it. They beat me one book.
1: I was texting you about this a couple months ago. And I know you told me no way in the world this is going to happen. You tell me, Mike, you're never writing a book. Come on, man. You got so many great stories. You got to write a book.
4: Uh, you know what? I don't know. You know, they've asked me a couple of times, but it's something that I think everybody writes a book. You know, it's just like everybody does a podcast. I keep getting asked to do podcasts. And I say, everybody has a podcast. I, got I don't want right to do that everybody go. has. You nailed it. And everybody has a podcast and everybody's written a book. And frankly, you know what? it's not something that I think that all of a sudden that I'm going to be, I mean, I know I'm going to do a good radio show. I don't know if I'm going to write a good book. So if I didn't think I wrote a good one, I'd be very unhappy. So uh, I've stayed away from it. I don't know that I'd say never, who knows? I don't know what's going to happen. I never do. But uh, you know, I take it one day at a time and that's it. I'm, I'm enjoying stuff. I still, you know, people say to me, you know, when they see me, they say, Oh, do you follow sports? Hey, I, I, that's That was what I am. I mean, that's who I am. I will always follow sports. I, I never won't follow sports. That's what I do. That's, that's part of who I am. I'll always watch the games. I mean, I, I love the games. I don't like what some where some of the leagues are going. Does the
1: political
4: stuff with uh, sports in general bother you? The political stuff is a mistake because their job is to make fans out of everybody. And as soon as you have a political stance you've divided your audience so you don't want to divide your audience you you don't want to take a political stance. i understand the plot the problem is they have to respect the mood of the players that's why they have taken the stand they've taken but i think they'd be better off not going that route but here's the bigger problem These sports gambling is going to be a huge thing here, which is comical because they ran away from gambling for so long. And now they're trying to find ways to embrace gambling and they're not sure exactly how to do it. But these baseball has got its head up its rear end. I mean, the changes they made are so bad. They're so awful. I can't even tell you. They have screwed the game up. The extra inning rule is so bad. The new rules they put in are so terrible. Uh, I, I, they, they just really made colossal mistakes. I understand maybe if they just stopped trying to teach everybody in the lineup, including the guys in the bottom of the lineup, to hit the ball out of the ballpark, they wouldn't have so many guys striking out instead of worrying about how they have to speed the game up. Okay. Uh, people like baseball. Nobody goes to a good baseball game and says, Oh, wow. Uh, you know, it was too long. No, if it's a good game, no one cares. Baseball can be boring in July, but what you are upset about being slow in July helps you in October when you have a dramatic at-bat that lasts five minutes and you're at the, and you're on the edge of your chair because it's unbelievable. It's a great at-bat and he's fouled another pitch off and now it's three and two and it's second and third and they're down a run and you know, is he going to throw the curveball? Is he going to throw another fastball? Will he try to change up? That's baseball. That's what baseball is about. You get to think the pitch. You get to think the at-bat. That gets, so October baseball becomes incredibly dramatic. It's not going to be as dramatic in July. That's just not the game. It is, but all these sports, I'd like to see them in the NBA do two things. Number one, let somebody play defense. You know, back in the days of Jerry West, you could use two hands in the days of the eighties of Michael Jordan. You could use one hand. Now you can't touch a player on defense. It's ridiculous. Let them play some defense again. Number one. And number two, Stop telling players it's okay not to play your games anymore. How about the Nets, by the
1: way, Mike? Seven games with those three guys, by the way. Seven.
4: I mean, how, who told these guys it's okay now to rest the entire regular season and not play a game? If I was a season ticket holder, I would cash my NBA ticket money in and say I'm not coming back until I know I can watch these guys play. The, what they do in the NBA, and they've made the NBA impossible If you want to bet it, because you never know night to night, who's going to play it till five minutes before the game. So it's ridiculous what they've done to the NBA regular season. The NBA is good in the postseason. in the regular season. It's a joke because nobody plays. Nobody plays anymore. You can't get three nights in a row. Oh, he's got a night off. He's got a maintenance night off maintenance night off. These guys never took a night off maintenance nights off are ridiculous. That's killing the NBA. That's It's killing the the NBA. It is. And for the NFL, I can give you four or five things from them too. These leagues, all they care about now is how to increase the TV money and also make it so that people who are going to spend money gambling or spend money on fantasy or spend money on that stuff are going to be drawn in. That's because that's how they make the money. All you have to look at, the rules will always move towards whatever will make the owners more money at the negotiating table. That's all they care about. So all they're trying to do is increase everything as a, TV products and a streaming product in this new world. That's all they care about. That's it. And now they want to figure out how they... They have people trying to... I know this for a fact, I've had people approach me with this stuff about how to incorporate the gambling stuff into the game without it affecting the game on the field, but still get people to be enticed to gamble you know, more than they do already. Hey, that's what they're thinking about right now because that's going to produce more dollars in the future. That's all they care about. But they should care about the integrity of their sports on the field. And if you're baseball, if you're the NBA, even the NHL, NFL, you've done a bad job in that area. You really have in the last couple of years.
1: Final one, I think about most influential people in my career, Mike. You're on that list. You're at the top of that list. For you, you've come across so many different types of people who are big names brent musburger jimmy the greek bill parcells who are the three most influential people in the career of mike francesa
4: i can give you two i don't know who the third is but the two are easy brent musburger and don imus brent musburger taught me things he was so smart taught me things about the business of sports the business of tv that were stuff I have utilized my entire career. He's the one that talked me into going into talk radio. It was he, he, we were sitting on a plane and he said, this is something you should, pr- sh- should go after. So basically, Mike, what I you're telling had- me
1: is Brent Musburger in many ways paved the way for you to start at WFAN. How about that?
4: Yes. Well, here's the thing. Brent Musburger was the one who pushed me. And Jim Nance was the one who got me the job. Because without Jim Nance, Luke Griffin doesn't give me a chance. They had turned me down 15 times. And it was Jim Nance who worked with Luke Griffin at at Syndicated Radio. And Jim Nance called Luke Griffin and said, you got to give this guy a chance. They gave me a chance. And I hit it out of the park. But I I would not have gotten a chance. I was out of chances. I I got turned down 14 times from that band. I couldn't get them to give me a chance to go on the air, and it was Nance. So I'd say it was Musburger, it was Nance who got me my opportunity to get in the door at FAN, and then it was Imus who, as soon as I got there, I watched and listened about the timing of a radio show and different tricks that I picked up. He was the best at it. And I learned a lot from how to do a show from I Miss watching him uh, and talking to him. He was a, the smartest guy I ever met radio by a mile. And I would say those three. An absolute pleasure. Don't be a stranger. I know you've done they it, FAM,
1: JJ, Mike, anytime. Hey, anytime you want to pop on, man,
4: you let me know. You know where to find me, okay? Good luck, Good luck, JJ. Say hello to Bill to me. Uh, good luck. Have fun this week. And uh, really, uh, I wish you well in your new endeavor. You'll do great. That's the great Mike Francesa, one
1: of the all-time greats. We're back with more. We got Knicks and that stuff, voicemails, all that more. Ringer, Podcast Network.
4: Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes has arrived in IMAX. What a wonderful day! This summer, one movie event will reign. It is our time. Test to my village. I know where they're taking your clan. Bend for your king. Never. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes, now playing
5: only in theaters. Rated PG-13. Some material may be inappropriate for children under 13.
1: Always a pleasure to be joined by my good pal, the great Mike Francesa, who in many ways continues to be the gift that keeps on giving. And I hope that he knows that he has an open invite to New York, New York, whenever he wants to, you know, let it rip for a little bit. Maybe the next time we have Big Mike on, we'll work on me, Mike, and Simmons all in the same conversation. Now that would be something. As far as the basketball goes, good night for the Brooklyn Nets from this standpoint. Kevin Durant is back. And we've talked about this countless times with this net team. It's going to be a great what if when it comes to the chemistry and the fact that the big three of Durant and Kyrie and Harden has basically not played any games. I mean, we're talking about six, seven games with the three of them on the court. I've said it all year with Durant. He looks like Kevin Durant. He comes back off a hiatus against the best, one of the best teams in the Western Conference. Drops 30 points, incredibly efficient, shooting the ball well. He looked like Durant. That's the biggest compliment I can give Kevin Durant. Despite the way Brooklyn has handled his minutes and this and that, when he's been on the court, has anybody, like, wondered, is this the guy we saw with OKC? Is this the guy we saw with the Golden State Warriors? I, I haven't had those questions. He's like looked like good old Kevin Durant to me. That is a great, great sign for Brooklyn. And a very good win for them, by the way, in taking down Phoenix, who is terrific. How about Phoenix in this back-to-back? Brooklyn and the Knickerbockers. That is going to be a ton of fun on Monday night. Phoenix coming to town after a night in New York City. And the Knicks have won nine games in a row. And Saturday's game against Toronto had all the makings of a loss. They got off to the big lead. They let Toronto come back into the game. They got great minutes from R.J. Barrett. They got great minutes from Derrick Rose. And Derrick Rose is going to be the guy you see getting a lot of minutes at the point guard spot because the head coach trusts him. That's what it boils down to. When I think about their closing crunch time lineup, that lineup's going to feature the MVP of the team in Randall. Barrett, it's amazing. You have two legitimate candidates for most improved player in the league, Randall and Barrett. And if that doesn't speak to Thibodeau and his coaching, I don't know what will. Those two guys are absolutely going to be out there. Rose is going to be out there. I'm going to want to see quickly at the end of these games. And then you're probably throwing a big out there. Whether it's New Orleans Noel, Taj Gibson. I know some Knicks fans are hoping that Mitch Robinson will be able to come back. That is what I expect the crunch time lineup to be. Nine games in a row. And it's becoming more and more of a certainty I shouldn't say a full-fledged certainty because that's that's jumping the gun a little bit. But with the way this team's been balling out, I expect them to hold serve and end up in this 4-5. They right now have a two-game lead on Boston as far as that goes. Half game up on the Atlanta Hawks. I'm telling you. You're rooting for Atlanta, Boston, or Charlotte. Those are the teams I have no hesitation playing in the postseason. Boston would be fun for obvious reasons here with the boss. I know the folks at FanDuel probably have a field day with that one. It'd be a lot more fun than the promo we had Friday night where basically I just had to troll Simmons. I was like, yeah, anything to troll Simmons, let's do it. Sign me up. Even though I'm not a Net fan, and I'll never find myself rooting for the Nets. He, he's got enough good things going for him. We got to bring him back down to earth a little bit here on New York, New York. That's what we do. So I was happy to be a part of that little promo they had put together. But you don't want Miami in the first round. I'm telling you right now. You don't want Miami. So, all good weekend. Good vibes for New York basketball. And I just hope we have a real fun late May into early June. Knicks and Nets playing in the postseason. And maybe extended May and June with both of these teams. Except I don't want Brooklyn winning at all. Anybody but Brooklyn and the Lakers, then I'm happy. Full disclosure. Sixers. Utah. Phoenix. Milwaukee. I really don't care.
2: Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.
1: Hi, right, folks. Now it's time. Sunday night, Monday morning, Monday afternoon, whenever you listen to the show, you know you're getting listening to voicemails. So let's start them off with a bang. Who do we got?
3: What up, JJ? It's Brian from Jersey, man. Um, you know, I got to let you know I got to rep Brooklyn on the call real quick. And to all the Nets fans that are listening, fucking call in. Stop being lazy, shit fucks. Because at the end of the day, these Knicks fans think
5: we don't exist, you assholes. Wake up. Speak your mind. Anyway, JJ, I want to talk about the Giants. Please do your research for me. I don't feel like doing it. Who are the second-round receivers? If we don't take one of these top four guys, who are the guys that we're attacking in the second round? The Justin Jeffersons of this draft. I know he was in the first round, but you get my point. Those late sleepers. Let me know what you think, man. All right, bye.
1: Well, I would agree with that, Brian. Listen, I know you want to show love for your beloved basketball team, but realize you are the minority when you're talking about fan bases in this town. So there's that. I would agree on the receivers in this draft. To me, there's a considerable gap between the Chases, the Devontae Smiths, and the Jalen Waddles of the world. And no, I don't think this receiver class is as deep and is as good as last year's, where in last year's draft, I think a lot of people looked at, for example, Chase Claypool as a guy who was going to make an immediate impact. Michael Pittman Jr., who ended up getting drafted by the Indianapolis Colts. I think a lot of people thought he was going to make an immediate impact. I'm not as in love with the secondary tier of wide receivers, and I think it speaks to the point of why if I'm the Giants and Dave Gettleman, assuming Devontae Smith or Jalen Waddell is there for me, that's pick I got to make. Who's up next?
3: JJ, this is Danny from Edison. I was all set to call you about some Dave Gettleman today, but now I'm watching the Yankee game today. And I'm I'm very happy about three out of four from Cleveland. But, man, like, I Aaron Boone, I, I do not understand in a 4-3 game in the fifth inning why you go to Nick Nelson, who, let's be honest, doesn't even deserve to be on the major league roster. The guy is horrible. And you go to Nick Nelson not only for one inning, then you leave him in for a second inning. It's like Boone is treating a 4-3 game and then a 5-3 game as if it's a 10-3 game. Why give away games? I understand if you don't want to use Chapman. But, I mean, come on. At least at least wait a little while before you wave the white flag. I don't get it. Aaron Boone baffles me, and I just – if you can explain any of that to me, because I don't get it, JJ. Love the show, brother. Keep it up. Danny,
1: good stuff, bro. We're on the exact same wavelength when it comes to the way this game was managed. Now, look, you're A-OK with the idea of taking three out of four, and I'm not suggesting the Yankees should have gone to Darren O'Day or should have gone to Jonathan Loizaga in the fifth inning. Luis Cesar is a better option. And after you get an inning out of Nelson where he gives up a run, go to Cesar there. Try to keep that a competitive two-run game. Nelson, you're right. He stinks. He don't belong in the big leagues. He ain't getting anybody out. He ain't throwing strikes. I wasn't the least bit surprised, even against a slumping, reeling Indians lineup, that he found a way to give up a couple of runs. Yeah, I thought the Yankees managed this game in many ways. Like, they won the first two games of the series. And they weren't down by six runs or seven runs. They were down by one run and then two runs. Not in love. Not in love. But when you take three out of four, my overall vibe and mood is going to be drastically different than what it was last weekend when you get swept by Tampa.
4: Who's up next? What's up, JJ? Brian. I live in Silver Spring, Maryland. I'm a New York transplant. A big Yankees and Knicks fan. Very fired up after both of their wins today. I'm calling on Saturday. Uh, I just really wanted to know what you think the Knicks should do with Alfred Payton. Because despite the recent success of the team, he is not playing well. And Derrick Rose is playing great. Would you put Derrick Rose in the starting lineup moving forward? I mean, I'm in delirium land with this team right now, bro. I mean, I can't believe we won nine games in a row. Hopefully, we keep it up tonight uh, on Monday night against the Suns. Um, but, yeah, I was wondering what if you would consider making the lineup change Peyton out, Rose in. Thanks uh, for all the great podcasts.
3: I love it, JJ. You're doing a great job on the ringer. Talk to you next time.
1: Well, I appreciate it, Brian. I'm not messing with the starting lineup when you win nine games in a row. To me, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. And in no way am I the leader of the Alfred Payton fan club. I can't wait till Alfred Peyton is a former member of the New York Knicks. I think it's all about who's playing those crunch time minutes. I really don't get too wrapped up in who's starting a game. Who's finishing a game is far more important to me. And yes, to your point, at the end of these games, do I want Derrick Rose on the court as opposed to Alfred Payton? 100%. Who's next?
3: Hey, JJ. It's Ira from Staten Island. So with Thursday approaching and Zach Wilson pretty much a lock, the big question is with that, second pick in the first round and the two picks in the second round just got a lot of ammunition to improve this roster um i'm all in on drafting people that are going to help support zach Wilson. i know sal is a defensive coach i know he wants to get a couple of new defensive toys but if i'm joe douglas i add to that offensive line and maybe throw an arrow running back just curious what you think so soon
1: ira clearly fired up for the draft ira has had the draft circled for the last four months, basically. And we've been talking Zach Wilson, Justin Fields, going all the way back to December. Basically, the minute the Jets won that game against the LA Rams, that made so many people miserable around town. Ira and I have been having conversations on and off the air, trying to figure out, all right, what's next for the franchise? I'm not in love with the idea of the Jets taking a running back. And I know Najee Harris is a tremendous prospect. ETN out of Clemson is going to be there too. I'm loading up my offensive line. To me, the Jets can wait on a running back. Like, I compare, I'm going to give you two teams, Miami and the Jets, and why I think it's far more prudent to move for the Dolphins to go and get a running back as opposed to the Jets, where they're at in their developmental curve. The Jets right now are at the ground floor. The Dolphins, on the other hand, second year with the quarterback, third year with the head coach, looking to get into the playoffs after a 10-win year. If I'm Miami, I'm saying, hey, I I want to go for the kill so that I know Truett can do what he needs to do, having all the pieces around him. Running back's one of those dime a dozen type pieces. Miami, though, needs a running back. They need that sort of power running game. The Jets, they're far more in the stage of, I need an identity. I need a certain culture, meaning I need offensive linemen. I need guys who are going to stick around beyond a first contract, which is far more likely to happen at another position, not a running back. Jets right now should not be taking a first round running back. As much as I like ETN, as much as I like Najee Harris, I do not think the Jets should take a running back with their second first round pick. Support the quarterback, yes. I'm doing so the way the offensive line. That's me.
3: Who's next? Hey JJ, it's John from Manhattan. Just wanted to check in on the Knicks Nets quote unquote rivalry and let you know that everyone in Manhattan is going for the Knicks. I want the Nets in the playoffs so badly. I'm coming for blood. I need to beat them. They don't represent the city. They don't represent anything about New York. And I need the Knicks to make that a point. Okay. Our players play every night. They play the most nights and the most minutes in the league. And I'm just sick. I'm sick of the Nets. I'm sick of Kyrie. I'm sick of Harden. I'm way sick of Durant, who's the worst. And I just want to come for blood, and I want to hear your take on this.
1: I love your passion. You're 1,000% right when you make the argument that it is a town. I don't think anybody's going to fight you on that, even if Brooklyn goes and wins an NBA championship. Anybody who is delusional enough to think it will mean the same as the Knicks winning a title, please, not for the city. Maybe if you're an FN. fan, Not for the city. Be careful what you wish for. The Nets are a better team than the Knicks. Would I take that series in the second round? Absolutely. I'd take any series in the second round. Because if the Knicks are playing in the second round, just think about what that means. They have taken on the personality of their head coach. They've been incredibly fun to watch. It's been one of these feel-good New York sports seasons. And we have them from time to time. The 2017 Yankees, the 2015 New York Mets, the 2007 New York Giants, the feel-good year in sports, 2009 Jets, when Rex Ryan proclaimed they were dead, they were eliminated from the postseason. Indianapolis laid down like dogs, punted an undefeated season, which to me was an absolute embarrassment and an absolute disgrace. And I think that coaching staff and everybody involved in Indy deserved the karma that came their way in the Super Bowl when they lost to the New Orleans Saints. You have a perfect season. You say, "Screw that! I don't want it. I'm not going to embrace the challenge of it." Shame on you, shame on you. But the Jets that year made the most of that opportunity. Made it all the way to the AFC title game. These feel-good years are fun. Enjoy it if you're a Nick fan. Think about the last 20 years. Put it in some perspective. And enjoy it. Who's
5: next?
4: John, great podcast. Love it. New York, New York. Let's go.
5: This is Jason from Stony Brook, Long Island. Just calling to say that I'm concerned about the New York football giants. I'm looking forward to the draft, as always. I want an offensive line in. I don't want a wide receiver. We need to build up that offensive line for Daniel Jones and Saquon Barkley. Danny Dimes. That's what we need. Danny dimes. And the only way that's happening is if we get some big boys up front that can play football. We gotta build that old line. Keep up the great work, John. Talk to you later. Bye.
1: Love you, Jason. We are on different wavelengths when it comes to what the Giants should be doing. You're gonna make the argument for the offensive line, and I get it they gotta get better on the offensive line. They have taken way too many premium linemen over the last few years. Andrew Thomas. Will Hernandez, the kid out of UConn. I mean, they've been drafting offensive linemen, it feels like, in the first, second round, year after year after year with Dave Gettleman. They also went, I know he's not on the team anymore, Broughton Zeitler. They made the trade for Nate Solder. I I feel like I hear about the offensive line on like a never-ending loop. They're not dynamic enough on offense. They're not. Kenny Galladay is a great step in the right direction. You get a chance to get Devontae Smith or Jalen Waddell, go and get them. And know this. Peter King said this on Thursday. I totally agree with it. If you pass on one of those two receivers, if you pass, I would fully expect Philadelphia will end up taking that guy. Be aware of that. Be mindful of that. You pass on Devontae Smith, you pass on Jalen Waddell. Who's to say they're there? Miami might surprise people and take Devontae Smith. They might surprise people and take Jalen Waddell. You don't know what they're valuing in a skill position player. And a lot of these dominoes that are going to fall in the draft, it really starts with the Atlanta Falcons with the fourth pick. Because the first three picks, it's going to be quarterback, quarterback, quarterback. It's Lawrence, it's Wilson, and it's either Justin Fields or Mac Jones. I would guess. So if Atlanta takes Pitts, he's out for Miami. Who's to say Miami, doing their research, doing their homework, likes one of the Bama guys more than they like Jamar Chase? They may value that more in a receiver. I I don't know what they're looking for. Who's to say? Who's to know? One of those two receivers is there from the Giants, putting them alongside Kenny Galladay, having Saquon Barkley in the backfield. Then all of a sudden, I could look at Daniel Jones and say, hey, big boy, you got enough talent and weapons around you. Go make it work. And if you can't, you're not my quarterback. Who's up next?
5: What up, JJ? It's Jack from Queens. I wanted to uh, get your thoughts on something with the Knicks today. I mean, another great win. And I've kind of been in the same boat as you where, you know, this is a nice story, but I'm not exactly going to be betting on the Knicks to make it, uh, make a deep run in the playoffs. However, man, today was one of those days where I realized if Randall keeps playing like this, the Knicks are going to have a chance to win a series and really have a good chance in round two as well because, you know, everyone says that the defense tightens up in the playoffs, and that's true. But did you see the shots Randall was hitting today? I mean, contested threes, he hit one three over a double team, a couple follow-aways with Siakam right in his grill. And when he's hitting contested shots like this, of course it opens up open threes for Bullock, Barrett, quickly Burks eventually so the, I just feel like if you're going to keep hitting these tough contested shots the the team's going to have a chance to compete against anybody and it's it's kind of raising my optimism for a playoff series or two let me know what you think have a good one
1: um I think the ceiling for the Knicks is getting to the second round I've said this countless times I do not see them beating Brooklyn Philadelphia or Milwaukee I think that is house money. Really, the first round in many ways is house money for the next, any year that they've had. Looking at the standings right now, I'm telling you folks, remember I said this, you don't want any part of the Miami Heat in the first round. You don't want any part of the Heat. Sign me up for Atlanta. Sign me up for Boston. Sign me up for Charlotte or any of the other playing teams. Although you're not going to get the other playing teams, but you get my point. You get my point. I don't want Miami. That team was in the NBA Finals. They have a closer in Jimmy Butler. They shoot the three well. I know they have not had a great regular season. Remember, there is bubble fatigue for a couple of these teams. I don't think there's any question. I'd have bubble fatigue too. If I wasn't playing golf every day, trust me, I'd have bubble fatigue. I know they're millionaires. I know they have their yachts and their boats and their mansions and this and that. That could mess with you. And I think you've seen that with a couple of teams this year especially the ones that were in the Final Four, and now they're coming out of it. it took Denver a while. The Lakers now are kind of coasting through the end of the regular season, not taking it all too seriously, getting their guys back. I don't want Miami in the first round. The other three teams, bring them on. Miami, big problems. Remember I said that. Who's next?
3: Hi, JJ. This is Matt New Brunswick. Explain to me why Brooklyn Nets fans get no love from your show. Why does Steve Nash get no respect either? I have to hear Anthony and chirping about Nets fans while telling us we should worry about our own team, the irony. Nets are on top of the East. Big three have only played together six games. The starting five changes nightly. 18 guys have started this year. And Joe Harris is the only one that's played more than three quarters of the games or something. Where's the big three? There is no big three. All we hear about is the talent. Steve Nash, coach of the year in my book. Thank you.
1: Matty Cab, I appreciate the call. Steve Nash cannot be the coach of the year. I don't care how many games Durant, Irving, and Harden have played alongside one another. You're still talking about a team that was the frontrunner to win the Eastern Conference. You're not getting any love from a coach of the year standpoint. I think Nash has done a better job than people will give him credit for. But as far as a narrative goes, the Nets were supposed to be elite. Case closed. And when you're supposed to be elite, It's like getting the keys to the Maserati or the Rolls Royce. And you get that from daddy when you're 17 or 18 years old. If you live in a well-off family, trust me, I didn't. I was driving my station wagon. Still driving my VW Jetta right now as we speak. I'm like Van Gundy in that way. You live in Brooklyn, your car is getting beat up. You ain't driving some bougie-ass sports car. Maybe in another life. Not right now. I like my Jetta. My Jetta is great, by the way. Van Gundy drives his Civic, I drive my Jetta. That's it. Right. Very proud of my Jetta. But the point being is, you get that bougie sports car, you can't crash it. Can't screw it up. He hasn't done that. Coach of the year over Tom Thibodeau, nonsense. Absolute nonsense. Who's next?
3: Hey, JJ. I'm messing with Staten Island, fellow QSO 9. Uh, quick question about the Jets. Uh, see, they, they already have a bunch of draft capital. And I always found it ridiculous where all the pundits were talking about, you know, trading back from two to get a boatload of picks. How how many more picks do you need? But, you know, that said, I'm wondering, do the Jets try to make a move to trade up from 23rd to the middle of the first round? Do you see any viable trade scenarios there? All right, man. Good luck. Thanks.
1: Appreciate that. I can't answer that question right now. Because I think answering that question will depend on the big board, who's available for Joe Douglas, and where you're going to take it. From draft night. Can I say. At this point in time. There's a player I'm pinpointing. In the middle of the first round. Maybe if they're falling. Like if there's a guy. Who you have. Top five. Top seven. In your big board. And he's sitting there. Like 15 or 16. Yeah. Then I consider the possibility. Of trading up. My caveat to that. Is that the Jets. Need so much. On this roster. I don't know if I'm targeting. One individual player. I need the picks. Because I'm almost looking at them as a free roll of dice. And if I can hit on 50 to 60% of those guys, my team is going to be in really, really good shape. Last but not least, who's on the horn?
3: Hey, JJ, Dave from Scottsdale. Just kind of a random question here. But uh, what would
0: you say would be your favorite Yankees moment you've witnessed in person? Just uh, was thinking about that with some friends of mine. just want to hear your opinion on that one. Have a good one.
1: That is a great, great question. I'm going to give you three. Game five, 2001 World Series, went brocious against byung Young Kim with two outs in the ninth inning, tied it for the second straight night. It was the most electric, surreal Yankee stadium that you're ever going to see. I was there for that. Um, I think in the new stadium, I'm going to give you two games. The final game for Derek Jeter, which all of the stars aligned to have Jeter... Good weather on a day when it was miserable in New York. He gets a couple of hits. And then, of course, Robertson blows the save in the ninth inning to allow G to hit a walk-off single in his final game in the Bronx. Being there for that was incredible. And then I would say the 2017 playoff run. And I'm going to say game four against the Astros. Coming back, eighth inning, rocking the house that night with this new core Yankees that you thought was bound for something special and here we are a couple of years later hoping praying that core is going to deliver on a World Series championship. Those three come to mind. If there's a regular season game 6-6-6 Melky Cabrera Robin, Manny Ramirez at the height of the Yankee Red Sox rivalry was pretty damn cool. Those are the games that come to mind. Not bad, right? Hopefully, with some more memories to come this year. We'll come back, wrap it up with draft props by main man Art the Caesar over at the link. You might even hear from our good pal Jeff Money. You never know. All that more. It's New York, New York, right here. Ringer Podcast Network. All right, folks, let's do some draft props with one of my all time favorites from my old gig. Over at JJ After Dark. This guy and I are now linked forever. He's one of the head odds makers at the Link Casino. I'm gonna see him the next time I'm out in Vegas. And hopefully he can help us out with a couple of draft props. The great art the Caesar over at the Link. What up, Art?
0: How we doing, baby? JJ doing great, my man. It's uh, you know, pleasure to be back with you. You know, obviously we were on a different platform. You know, weeks ago, years ago, whatever you want to say, but just uh, always a pleasure to join you. Always a pleasure to talk about our two favorite things, sports and gambling.
1: You ain't kidding, my man. Let's get right to it. This year with the draft, because of the fact that you have baseball going on, because of the fact that you have the NBA and the NHL going on, do you guys at the casino expect to get as much action on the NFL draft, or do you think because of the phenomenon that was last year when Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday roll around, a whole lot of people are going to be wanting to make picks and wanting to be putting plays on this year's festivities?
0: You know, J.J., when I look at it, I, I always think this this way. The NFL is kicked, right? So NFL is going to get everything. And as far as the props go, when I was when I started in this business four or five years ago, we would have five maybe 10 props. I mean, this year we got 50, 60 props on the NFL draft. Next year, when it's in Vegas, it finally comes back to Vegas. It was supposed to be there last year. Obviously COVID ruined that. We might have upwards to a hundred. So yeah, I think when you look at the draft, the NFL is always going to move the needle. People want to bet on this. And I've seen people come up regardless of all these other sports being in full swing, people want to bet the NFL draft.
1: I'm looking at Mac Jones, Justin Fields. One of those two guys is going to be the third pick by the San Francisco 49ers out in the desert. Art, who are more people betting on when it comes to the under? Are they betting the under for Mac Jones at three and a half? Are they betting the under for fields at four and a half? How is that currently shaking out?
0: You know, the third pick obviously is the most interesting pick. I'll just take it from this, this perspective. Two weeks ago, we had Jones minus 225 to be, the first, to be the third pick. About, I don't know, a week ago, we had it even. When I left work today, we have Jones minus 160 to be the third pick. Fields has gone all over the board. He was plus 250. A week ago, he even went to minus 130 when Jones was even. Now Fields with the epilepsy news and this, that, and the other, he's plus 175. So I think most people are into the fact that Jones will be the third pick. But if you write fields at under four and a half, he could easily still be that fourth pick to Atlanta or someone trading up there. So there's a lot of different ways you can go. Is it because of
1: the possibility of a trade up to why Kyle Pitts is getting juiced at over four and a half? Cause listen, he's been the man crush city of everybody who is evaluating the draft. I think he'd be a great fifth for the Miami dolphins. They end up taking him at six, but a lot of people are, have linked him to Atlanta I guess the reason that total is juiced over four and a half, do a lot of folks on the desert just assume somebody will go and get a quarterback at four, and that's why you're seeing that number? Where
0: is that? I think so. I think because once the third pick is made, and let's just say it's Matt Jones. Now you got Fields and you got Trey Lance. Someone might feel, hey, we don't have a chance to get them a couple picks down the road. Let's jump up to four. Let's do that. Atlanta's in a crazy position. They still have an aging Matt Ryan you know, do they get him a weapon or do they draft a quarterback or do they say, let's pick up some picks. So the fourth slot is really interesting. I also think too, when I look at that, like you're going to take a tight end fourth, I know he's probably going to be a great player, but man, that's asking a lot for a tight end at four. So yes, I think a lot of us feel that that fourth slot could go to a quarterback, whether it's Atlanta or a trade.
1: I'm looking at the two Alabama wide receivers. Devontae Smith's at 11.5. Jalen Waddle's at 11.5. Yet the over for Devontae Smith is getting juiced. The under for Jalen Waddle is getting juiced. Do you make anything of that, or would you now try to evaluate thinking about these two guys, looking at those numbers, making the argument maybe Waddle will go before the Heisman Trophy winner?
0: Yeah, absolutely. I, you know, I think. Obviously Smith, the Heisman Trophy winner. I think early on in this process, even when your team had a higher pick and traded back, a lot of people had linked Smith to the Dolphins. You know, is there concerns because he's undersized and he doesn't weigh a lot? You know, listen, to me, he's Tyree Kill, but, you know, what do I know? Obviously Jalen Waddell, listen, he was the number one receiver coming into the year before he got hurt. So I think people probably look at him as more of a prototypical NFL receiver. But anything can happen in these drafts. You know, someone could just, that could be the apple of the eye, and it just takes one team to make a move. So, obviously, we know Jamar Chase is going to be the number one receiver taken off the board, but it is interesting that the Alabama players have left.
1: Okay, Micah Parsons, I'm seeing this total right now with 13 and a half, which to me is an insanely sharp number. We know this is an offensive draft, especially in the first round. Where are you shaking? Where are you feeling right now, Art, on 13 and a half for Micah Parsons?
0: Micah Parsons. Yes. I mean, you could see the first 8, 9, 10, 11 picks maybe in this track. All the offensive players. I think, like you said, it's a very sharp line. I look at my Giants at 11. Maybe the Giants roll the dice on him. You know, he's been linked to Denver at 9. You know, I, I just think someone is going to get a great player probably late or later than they should go. As a Giants fan, once again, I would I wouldn't mind him at eleven. I really wouldn't. So, I can see why that line is where it is. I, the defensive players are not moving the needle at all in this draft. It's all the offensive players. Even the big tackle from Oregon's moving the needle. So, as a Giants fan, I'm going to say I hope it's an under. Fair enough.
1: Uh, I'll tell you what I love. Curious to get your take on this. Najee Harris. I'm seeing the total right now at 26 and a half and you know this I'm one of these guys that pounds the table saying don't take a running back early but I look at the Miami Dolphins and where they're at as a franchise having the connection he has with Tua trying to transform that team making them that much tougher being a guy that could get some dump offs I think the Dolphins could snag him with their second first round pick I see under 26 and a half at minus 120 dude I'm all over that I love that prop JJ I
0: love that you mentioned I wrote down my two favorite props One of them is Najee Harris. But Najee Harris, just to be the first running back taken, he doesn't even have to go in the first round. And that's sitting at minus 170. You're going to say, oh, well, you got to lay minus 170. I don't care. He's going to be the first running back taken. So I'll lay the minus 170. And when he's the first running back taken, I cash. I'm with you. I think teams that have two first-round picks can look to be in a position to take a premium player like that after they've done what they need to do with their first pick. I'm all about Najee Harris myself. So I, I, I'm with you on that. I think under 26 and a half and for him to be the first running back taken.
1: I like that. You mentioned you had two favorites. Najee Harris is one. What's the other favorite of yours?
0: Okay. So this is one that I've really thought about. And I only am saying I like it because I like the plus money. So wide receivers in the first round, it is sitting at four and a half. Everyone's going to say, okay, wait, hold on. We have three locks. We know we have Waddle. We know we have Chase. We know we have Smith. Okay. That over has gotten juice from minus 250 to 400. I would get the under of plus 300. There are a lot of receivers, Marshall from LSU, Tony from Florida, more from Purdue, who have second-round type projections. And if you look at the draft recently, up until last year that had six first-round receivers, the last four drafts had two first-round receivers. And you get great value in the second round. DK Metcalf, Juju Smith, Michael Thomas, Cortland Sutton, A.J. Brown, all second-round picks. I'd like to roll the dice there. You know, listen, if two other receivers go, I get beat, but maybe only one goes and I get plus 300. So that's one that I've kind
1: of keyed in on too. Okay, Art, you're dialed in for the draft. Who right now features the most liability for you folks out in the desert when it comes to winning the NBA championship this year? Is there, is it the Lakers? Is it Brooklyn because of their star power? Where is the liability for you guys?
0: Okay, JJ, so when we look at the NBA draft, I know you and I have had these conversations a million times. Us being out in Vegas, we're always heavy on LAP. So Lakers, Dodgers, we always get flooded with that amount of money. And it just is always that way, even if the Lakers or Dodgers are bad. Lakers right now are sitting at 3-1. to one. We've gotten so much money on them, but now there's been so much buyback on the Nets who are sitting at plus 180 to win it. When they basically opened at you know 8-1, to 7-1, to one, wherever you got it, we're starting to creep up where the Nets are going to be right there, but we're still at Laker liability. So if the Nets actually ended up winning, it would be better for us. But who knows? You know, we got another, you know, couple months, whatever it's going to be for the NBA playoffs start a month. And we could maybe get to a point where we're at even. And if either of them win, it will be bad for us. But right now it is the Lakers. If there's a team
1: you'd invest in for a long shot title future. And when I say long shot, I'm talking 10 to one, 12 to one, because I think there's a prevailing thought out there or that we're on a collision course for nets and Lakers in the NBA finals. If I could give you Phoenix, Utah, Philly, Milwaukee, Miami, Denver, although I'm not making a case for Denver without Jamal Murray, uh, Clippers even, for that matter, even though the Clippers are probably going to end up being the third title favorite. If you had to give me a title future with some juice and some value in a positive sense, who would you make the case for?
0: You know, when I look at it, and I'm going to go double digits because I'm with you. The Clippers are going to be the third choice. They'll probably be six, seven to one, and they'll clearly be the third choice. I look at it like this. I'm in the East, so I got to beat the Nets. I understand the Nets have all the talent. Those three have played seven games together. We know they have a lot of injury concerns. I like the Sixers. The Sixers are eleven to one. I look at them and Embiid and what he has done this year, and I understand you could be going against Durant, Harden, or Irving, but you can make a case if Embiid at his peak might be the best player on the floor when you play. And if I get to the finals with the Sixers at eleven to one, I just hedge back. I like it. You can look at the Bucks at twelve to one, but I don't think the Bucs are getting there. I think the value on the Sixers at eleven to one is great.
1: Final one: Yankee futures. Division, AL, World Series, they full of 5 and 10. Did you guys move those odds a ton? Did they move by a smidge? On the desert, at least, I'm curious. Because, listen, New York, you're always going to have people, no matter what, in Jersey, firing it on the Yankees. Could I have gotten a much better price, Art, on the Yankees to win a pennant of the World Series?
0: All right, so I'm going to give you the Yankee numbers right now. These are current. Oh, I like today. this. Up to the minute okay. live Yankees. Okay. These are up to the minute. And I'm going to tell you Yankees open the World Series. That's obviously the second chart. Plus 550. Sitting at plus 800 right now. So 8 to 1. The Yankees to win the pennant, plus 400. That's almost double hard because I think they were yep. what? Plus 220, 205 exactly, beginning of the year? Exactly. Just slightly over 200. I think we might have had it plus 225. And then this is the big one. I think because, listen, you don't have to win the pennant, and you don't have to win the World Series. Yankees, we opened the Yankees minus 400 to win the division. They are sitting at even right now. You can get the Yankees to win the division at even, and we're talking 20-something games in the season. And let me throw one other Yankee thing in there that I love. Cole to win the Cy Young. After that performance yesterday, he went from plus 260 to plus 180. I still like it. Cole, to me, is the best pitcher. His only other competition is Bieber. I like Cole to win the Cy Young.
1: And as I sit here currently, Art, with a plus 350 ticket on Garrett Cole to win the Cy Young, I love you saying that. And, dude, let's be honest. This is the guy, historically, who always gets off to slow starts. He has not gotten off to a slow start this year, and he hasn't won a Cy Young. He doesn't have to contend with the Grom in the National League, who might be a runaway choice to win his third Cy. How about that, Art? Maybe
0: both New York hurlers uh, are bringing some hardware home at the end of the year. JJ, I love how you said that like that. And you're sitting on a plus 350 ticket. That's basically double what we have right now. And that's amazing, and you're right. Paul is usually a slow starter, and I'll tell you what. He just looks dialed in. He looks ready to go. We know how much he loves being a Yankee and wanted to be a Yankee. And you're right. I didn't even think of that. That didn't even come into my mind. He hasn't gotten his Cy Young. This is probably the year for him to get his Cy Young. I know it's a short price at plus 180, but you're still getting plus money. And honestly, he doesn't have a lot of competition. All right, Glasgow's sitting at 7-1. But he's had injury concerns, and he never has a full season. So I love Cole with the plus money. And God bless you having plus 350
1: my man or don't be a stranger you know where to find us and as other events roll out the playoffs in the nba the baseball season gets going once the nfl's hot and heavy in july and august we know where to find you bro so keep up the good work at the link and don't be a stranger to new york new york okay
0: anytime jj you're you're my dude and i'll always support you i'm always listening and i love everything you're doing my friend
1: That's the great Art Arthur Caesar over at the Link Casino. We're going to have a lot more NFL draft props coming up over the next couple of days. Uh, We'll have Danny Heifetz and Connor Hughes basically giving a giant jet perspective as we lead into the draft. Going to be a very busy football week on New York, New York. JJ out. We're back on Tuesday. Be good, everybody.